You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. We are at mile post 34 with Nahum, or Nahum. For those of you who are new here, we have been working our way through the Bible. From Genesis, we're going to go all the way to Revelation. We're working our way through the Bible one verse at a time. Sometimes it takes a couple or three verses to, to, to get the thought. But we're making these little stops along the way, trying to give you an idea of what the whole Bible is really about in a few sessions. I hope to cover six mileposts today, go quite a distance, and finish the Old Testament. I don't know if I'll make it or not. If I don't, we'll pick up there next time. We'll go in this car just as, fast, just as far and as fast as the gas will take us. And... Uh, it's, a, it's been a good journey. We call this series Route 66. You know the old story of the, the highway that run, run across America from, from someplace to someplace. Los Angeles to Chicago, is it? Anyway, and uh, the Bible has 66 books. So we're working our way through the Bible one verse at a time. Today we stopped at Nahum. Chapter 1, verse 15. The most important verse in the book of Nahum is verse 15 of chapter 1. It says, Behold, upon the mountains the feet of him that bringeth good news and publisheth peace. O Judah, keep thy solemn feast, perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly, utterly cut off. Behold, good news is coming. These ideas are all through the Old Testament. That there's coming a message one day that's so good, that's all we can think to call it. That's why the gospel is called the gospel. It means good news. They could not think of anything better to call it other than good news. The good news is that God has taken away the wicked and the wickedness out of our lives. Jesus became sin for us that him who knew no sin, that we who knew no righteousness might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is an awesome thought. that God had a plan to do something about our condition. We had a predicament. You know that? We had a serious predicament as man. We had died. Dead men can do nothing about their situation. A dead man does nothing about his situation. He, didn't, he didn't, does not even decide where he's going to be buried. He has to decide that while he's living. If he doesn't decide it, somebody else decides it for him. Because a dead man has no control over anything. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There was nothing you could ever do about your sinful situation. God had to do something about it. Thank the Lord Jesus, he did. 
he did something about our condition. Because we had not just fallen into disrepair and rebellion. We had died that day. We died that day in sin. Not just in, not just in rebellion, we fell off into a grave. And there was no way out. It wasn't like this The story goes of an old boy who kept coming home drunk. His wife got tired of it and went down to the cemetery and paid some grave diggers to, to dig, a, dig, dig a grave right on the trail where he came across the backside of the graveyard. They asked her, she asked him to dig, dig a grave right there on that trail where he comes home late. So they did. He comes along there. Before he comes along, though, another guy comes along drunk. He falls headlong into that grave. He jumped and scratched and jumped and scratched and jumped and could not get out. Well, I sat down in the corner and just waited. Here comes the wife, this woman's husband now. He falls headlong into the grave. He jumped and scratched and jumped and scratched and jumped and scratched and could not get out. Jumped and scratched, jumped and scratched, jumped and scratched. Finally, the guy in the grave and sitting over there in the corner said, real spooky voice, you can't get out of here. <laughs> But he did. <laughs> Our condition, there was no way out. You couldn't be scared out. You couldn't be helped out. You had to be made alive because you weren't in there alive. You were in there dead. And Jesus made a way, and they call this the good news. It's talked about here in Nahum. The good tidings of those who bring good news. It's in Romans 10, 15. Let me just read it to you. Romans 10, 15 says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Verse 7, uh, Isaiah 52, it's in there too. Verse uh, 7 of Isaiah 52 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good news, good tidings that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. When the gospel comes, there's a few things that said here, when the gospel comes, that means salvation and all good things have come. That's why we don't talk here in this church very much about sin. Because we believe that sin has been taken care of. Jesus died for your sins. If your faith will work toward that end, you won't have a sin problem anymore. If your faith will work toward the end that Jesus died for your sins to take them all away, and your, set your faith, your heart says, I believe, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, your sin conditions will go away. Your issues will go away. They will go away. Am I right, Vincent? Your issues will go away. I told your story to a thousand students this week how that message worked on you and changed your life. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't tell them your real name. I, I called you Vincent. <laughs> Mile post 35. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. The most important verse in Habakkuk is this verse right here. Behold... His soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. But the just 
shall live by his faith. Habakkuk 2.4 Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright, upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Now this, this draws a contrast between the soul and the spirit. Faith does not, is not at work in your soul. Faith is at work in your spirit, man. Faith is not at work in your soul. Amen. Faith is at work in your spirit, man. Are you hearing me? There's nothing about the, the actions of the soul that will make you upright. Nothing about the actions of the soul that will make you upright. The soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. The problem with man was not so much that his soul, but in his spirit. The problem with man was not so much about his soul, his, th his thoughts, but about his spirit, his heart, his inner man was dead, away from God. The inner man is where faith works. Are you hearing me? And they, that, that day they died when their faith died. Adam and Eve stopped believing God. They started believing the devil. That put them into unbelief. That means that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. And everyone born after them was the same, in the same boat. The inner man, though, is where faith works. And if you're dead in your inner man, your faith won't work. The soul has, not, 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 when I say dead, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, uh, that you are annihilated and cease to exist. I'm saying you're separated from God. There's one way that, that re, there's one message, that, one word that will reach into that, into that death and pull you out. The word of the gospel. The message of peace. Amen. And it sounds like this. You know what it sounds like. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried. And he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It's all about what Jesus did. Not about what you did or what you will do, but all about what he did. The gospel is all about Jesus. Don't ever forget that. If you make it about you and your performance, you're taken away from Jesus and his, his performance. Now listen to this. The soul houses your reasoning faculties. And reason is contrary to faith. Reason is contrary to faith. I know a boy named David Hart. He's a man, full-grown man. He's probably 65 years old now. I knew him when he was young. Younger. David Hart went to college at, at, uh, in Nacogdoches at Stephen F. Austin University. Anybody know Stephen F. Austin University? You know about that school down in deep, deep in the piney woods of East Texas. Nacogdoches, the, only the, the oldest town in Texas. David and his sister both were in school down there. And they'd come home to Dallas on the weekends, to Arlington on the weekends, and drive down there, you know, Sunday night. For school all week and then drive back on the weekends. Be with mama and dad and get the clothes washed. <laughs> Refuel on money. And there was a little town just before you get to Nacogdoches on old, the old San Antonio Highway, Highway 21. Anybody been there? A little town called Douglas. Just before you get into, before you get into Nacogdoches. And on the east side of Douglas, there's a beautiful hill. Grassy opening with pine trees all around. And a beautiful house sits up on top of that hill. 
and re registered cattle out in the field with an oil well on it. An oil well and registered cattle, beautiful mansion. David Hart said to his sister, one of these days I'm going to marry that farmer's daughter. <laughs> one of these days I'm going to marry that guy's daughter. She said, what if he doesn't have any daughters? He said, well, I don't know. He's got to have a daughter because I've got to marry his daughter. <laughs> time goes by. Time goes by. He gets out of school, gets a job. Doesn't have a date. Doesn't have a friend, girlfriend. Doesn't have anything. And a friend sets him up on a blind date with a little blonde Aww. named Martha. The reason I know this story is because Martha was my secretary. They were a couple of Baptist kids. and <laughs> They went, on, went out on the, da the date. And he almost asked her to marry him his first date. That's how crazy about her he was. He just knew this was my girl. He said, where are you from? She said, I'm from a little town in East Texas. He said, where? She said, Douglas. He said, I got a funny story about Douglas, Texas. He said, what, what, what's that? She said, he said, I used to drive through there every week, and every time I'd drive by this one place, I'd tell my sister, I'm going to marry that farmer's daughter. She said, where was that farm? On the east side of town. She said, did it have an oil well out in front? She said, yeah. He said, yeah. She said, that was my daddy's place. <laughs> they got married. I didn't have to tell you that, did I? They got married. Because his words went out there and performed a supernatural, spiritual wow. happening. Yeah. Amen. Your words can go out there and work for you. Amen. The soul doesn't know anything about that, but the spirit man does. You cannot think your way to righteousness. It doesn't make any sense. That's why repentance is not enough, because repentance is all about the mind. You hear me? Yeah. Repent if you need to, but it will not make you righteous. No. Ooh, so I'm going to say it again. Repent if you need to, but it will not make you righteous. Yeah. Repentance is of the soul, of the mind. Right. Repentance is of the, of the mind. The word means, the word is the, the Greek word metanoia. It means to change your mind or change the way you think. That has nothing to do with the spirit man. His soul gets lifted up because he thinks if I repent enough, God will be good to me. God will like me. This is religion gone crazy. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And they forget about faith. Yes. Believing that God already did what he did for me. Amen. That's what God wants from you. Not sorrow over your sin. He wants you to believe that he took care of your sin. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you why. Thinking won't do it. I got a great quote here. Are the children in here? The children aren't in here, are they? You might want to cover their ears for this one. It's from Martin Luther, the great reformer. He said, Reason is a whore. The greatest enemy that faith has. It never comes to the aid of spiritual things, but more frequently than not, Struggles against the divine word. Treating with contempt all that emanates from God. Martin Luther said that. Reason is a 
bad girl, <laughs> bad boy. Reason will sleep with anybody. Reason will sleep with Darwin. Reason will sleep with Spock. Reason will sleep with Nietzsche. Reason will sleep with Freud. Oh, God. Anybody would sleep with Freud. Reason will sleep with Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, the number one atheist of the day. Reason will sleep with anybody, anything, any idea. It's a whore. But faith is how you get righteous. Reason comes from the soul, from the mind. Are you hearing me? It never will make you right with God. You cannot think your way to righteousness. You believe your way. Faith makes righteousness. Let me say it a different way. Faith then not only creates righteousness, but it brings righteousness. Because faith is righteousness. God accounted faith as righteousness. He accounted it as righteousness. That's why it makes righteousness. That's why it brings righteousness. Because faith is righteousness. If God can account it as righteousness, righteousness, that means it's the same thing. It is the same thing. I'll tell you the story about my daddy. My dad was away from the Lord in fellowship. He believed in, the, in Jesus. He had confessed Him as His Savior and Lord. Re- received the infilling of the Spirit. But he got wounded and angry and hurt over some stuff in church and sort of fell out of fellowship with the Lord. Not many months after that, I got real sick. I got pancreatitis. Anybody in here ever had pancreatitis? How sick were you? How sick were you? Yeah, uh, we were sick. Pancreatitis makes you so sick you, you, you think dying would be an improvement on your health. I was 12 years old and got pancreatitis. It's almost unheard of. My dad, I had a fitful night one night in the hospital in Ardmore. I was dying. My favorite, my favorite child, off the, off the scale, off the charts on, on the thermometer, they couldn't even tell how, how high my fever was. I was dying. My dad got down beside my bed. The, the hospital, the doctors and them finally got out of my room. My dad got down beside my bed, knelt down by, beside me, took me by the hand and said, John, you want to pray with me, boy? I was in a fog. I said, yeah, I guess. I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on hardly. My old dad, who you would call backslidden, at Pentecostal church we called him backslidden, knelt down beside my bed and prayed for me. Right then and right there, Peace came over my body. The next day, I was completely well, and, in two day, and the next day after that, I got out of the hospital. Next day, I felt fine. Had a stomach pump on me. It was awful. And the next day, I got out of the hospital because he prayed. Because God wasn't looking at his performance. God was not looking at how well he had performed to, to heal me. He just looked at his heart, looked at his faith. I know what you think about that. You think, oh, you're letting people off light. No, I'm not letting anybody off light. I'm just telling you the story, telling you what happened. God is moved by one thing, faith. 
He's not moved because somebody has a need. Because if he was moved by need, he, he would probably never come back to Oklahoma. We all have all, all we need here, don't we? I mean, you got the Red River and got the lake. We got all the fish we can eat. Yes, amen. <laughs> We're all well fed, well taken care of. Yeah. All is well here. Amen. When you think about other places in the world, Oklahoma's a good place to live. Yes, it is. Besides, we play football really well. <laughs> 66 to 59 last night. Wow. We do need, we do need something, though. We need two things that, uh, with the Sooners. We need defense. <laughs> wow, that, that was team score, 59 points, still beat them. Well, if God was moved by need, he wouldn't come here. If God was moved by need, he'd been, spend all of his time in India where children are starving on the streets. Are you hearing me? But that doesn't move God. Does not move God. I'm sure he doesn't like it, but that, that's not what makes him move. Seeing a need does not move God. What moves God? Faith. faith. One thing. One thing will move God. Faith. And anybody, anywhere can tap into this idea. Faith will move mountains. Yes, amen. Faith moves God. Let's go to my post 36. Zephaniah 3.17. Zephaniah 3.17. Are you with me today? Amen. Hope I'm helping you. I'm kind of preaching myself happy. I don't know if I'm helping you at all. But. <laughs> Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. That says God sings songs about you. Amen. Can you hear that? Yeah. God sings songs about you. When I was a kid, I used to make up songs about my mama, about my girlfriend, about my dog. <laughs> Did you do that? Did you sing songs just spontaneously about stuff you liked when you were a kid? That's how God's doing. That's what he's doing right now. Look at those people at the river. Hallelujah. Praise me. <laughs> God is singing songs about you. He's singing songs about his people. He praises us as we praise him. He said six things here that God is with you. God is mighty. God will save you. God rejoices over you. God loves you permanently. And your God sings songs about you. Wow. It's amazing. What God can do for someone who will just believe Him. Somebody who will believe Him causes Him to do incredible things, wonderful things, things that are outside the bounds of limitation. We always are challenged by God to believe. Now, if you can see the end of the thing, you can see the outcome of a thing, how, how you can work it out. You don't need faith. You need your faith working when you can't see the end. When you have no idea how this is going to turn out. When you see no way out. When you, saw no, when you see no resolution. That's when you need faith working. 
had a young man come to me years ago named Lee, college student. He said, Pastor John, you probably noticed me hobbling around. I said, yeah, what's wrong with you? He said, I got planter's warts on the bottom of my feet. A whole bunch of them. I said, a whole bunch of them? He said, yeah, I got eight or ten on one foot and the same amount on the other. Both my feet are full of planter's warts. I said, how'd you get them? He said, I have no idea. They just came up. He said, I went to the doctor. They gave me this stuff. He said, it doesn't work. Didn't do anything. I said, really? He said, yeah. So I stopped taking it. He said, they're getting worse. I said, all right, let me pray for you. And I got down on my hands and knees and laid my hands on his feet. And his, his, his testimony was, that even hurt. When you touched my feet and pressed down on both my feet, that even made him hurt worse. He said, I thought, boy, this is a bad way to get a healing. <laughs> Make it hurt first. He said, you got up and said, look to me now. And you said, you're healed right now. If you can receive it, you're healed right now. He said, I went home that night. My feet started itching. He said, they itched and itched and itched. He said, I couldn't go to sleep. So I got up in the middle of the night. He said, I started scratching my feet. I felt stuff coming loose. He said, I scratched my feet, scratched my feet, scratched them until I just had this big old pile of flesh in my floor. He said, I scratched every one of those plunder's warts off and baby skin came to my feet. Yeah. Scratched every one of them off and baby skin came to my feet. And, that, and he re reminded me of this story just a few weeks ago. He said, I still have baby skin on the bottom of my feet to this day. Amen. God can do anything. He rejoices over you to do you good. He likes showing you off. I think he likes showing you off every time you do something that's outstanding. You know one of those great exploits we talked about out of Daniel? Remember that? Every time you do one of those, I think God says, somebody hit me a chord. Give me a key. Somebody, I got a song rising up inside me. Planters' warts are no match for Almighty God. Planters' warts are no match for Almighty God. I think he starts singing. Amen. Mile post 37. Haggai chapter 2. Verses 7, 8, and 9. Are you still in my car? All right. It's locked. Doors are locked. Windows rolled up. Haggai chapter 2, verse 7, 8, and 9. Mile post 37. I want to read you this verse of scripture today. And I want to warn you, it's a bit shocking what, the, what he's actually saying here. I have to read three verses to get the idea, but I want you to hear this. God says, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. This is talking about Jesus. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord. The house is supposed to be full of glory. Verse, verse 8, the silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Wait a minute. Verse, verse 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Not one theologian disagrees with me here. They often do, but they don't on this. This, this latter house is talking about the church. 
The former, church, the former house was Israel and the temple. This house is the tabernacle of David, you and me. Amen. The church. He said the former glory was good, but the greater glory comes when you came. Did you see how he defined glory? Glory, gold and silver, glory. I didn't write the book, I'm just telling you it's there. He said glory, gold and silver, glory. I didn't write it, I'm just brave enough to tell you it's there. Glory in God's mind can be defined in one way, not, not the only way, but one way he defines it is gold and silver. That's what the book says. Glory, gold and silver, glory. I'm telling you one of the promises of God for you is that you prosper. Amen. If God can get the money into your hands, He can get it to Him. He would far rather see that, that $100,000 Mercedes Benz sitting at church on Sunday morning than He would at the bar on Saturday night. That's right. He'd rather, rather see that thing at church than, in, than at the bar. God doesn't have anything wrong, has no grudge against you being wealthy, right. you being prosperous, you're going on a cruise. Amen. Amen. You see the cruise? Amen. Amen. God has not, as long as you honor Him. Because if He can get that money to you, He has access to it. If God can get it to you, He has access to it. As long as he has access to it, it'll keep coming to you. Because you set up yourself for a cycle of success. Seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest. One of my favorite verses, I think we already covered it. It says uh, in, in Ecclesiastes, In the morning sow thy seed. In the evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which shall prosper, either this or that. Or whether they both alike shall be good. Now, I told y'all before. In my little farm over in Oklahoma, over in Love, Love County, Oklahoma, there was a third option. He said, "You know, you don't know which will. I mean, a fourth option. You don't know which will prosper, either the morning seed or the evening seed, or if they both be good. That's the only options you have with God. But over in Love County, we had a fourth option that nothing worked. Yeah. <laughs> Everything went bad." That was an option in Love County. I don't know about Bryan County, but over, over in Love County, we had an option of losing everything, and many pe people had. But he says here, in God, there's no losing out with God. Something's going to work. If you sow your seed in the morning, that may work. You sow your seed in the evening, evening, that may work. But you don't know but that both of them might be good. Amen. A bumper crop. Yes. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. Sow your life, sow your time, sow your finances, sow your life by, by taking part in this training. If you say, I don't have any money with me, I don't have any money, I just don't make enough money to give, sow your time. Because all money is, is a representation of your, time, of your life. You went out there and used your life, turned it into money, didn't you? Huh? You bring the money into the house of God. If you don't have money, sow your life, sow some time. Give that way. Am I preaching to the right crowd here? Not for the church, for you. For you, it helps the church, but it's for you to sow seeds, keep that seed time and harvest cycle going in your life. Amen. Can I have a better amen? amen. God desires for His church to prosper. 
God's promise is that the church will prosper. The latter house is talking about the New Testament church. Amazingly, amazingly, he defines glory as gold and silver. I love that. Now, Zechariah. I'm moving along as fast as I can, folks. Zechariah 4, 6, milepost 38. Are you with me? Still got your seatbelts on. Moving down this highway at breakneck speed. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. It means it's difficult to say. (laughs) (laughs) Saying, Not by might, nor my power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The most important verse in Zechariah 4, 6 is, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. God's real might and power is his spirit. God's real might and power is his spirit. Listen to me. Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning was God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form. The next thing it says is the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Spirit moved before God spoke. Listen to me. This is why we come into the house of God and worship Him We worship Him in spirit and in truth. We worship Him. We come bring our songs. We open our hearts. We let the Spirit plow up our hearts. So when the Word comes, it creates something. We worship Him first in the Spirit. The Spirit flows in our hearts. And then we hear the Word come. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. What He really said was, Light be came after the Spirit moved. Prepared the way for the Word to work. God's real power is in the Spirit. Ephesians 6 says that the Word of God is a sword of the Spirit. Taken to the sword, the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God's real power is in the Spirit. I saw a news report the other day, just a few days ago. A cop was called to a family who was in distress. Family losing their little baby over in the Atlanta, Georgia area. An officer was called out there to this family. His name was Kenneth Knox. I decided I'm going to say his name because he's a real hero. This white cop, this little black baby, and she's dying. Parents had done all they could do to get air into her passageway, and they could not, could not bring her back. She's just dying on them. She's limp. She's turning blue. And then this cop arrives. He's well trained in CPR. He knows what to do. He knows what to do. He's well trained. 
But he says, I cannot get air to go in. He said, I blow and blow and blow and pump and pump. He said, nothing works. Cannot get her to take air. Every time I blow into her mouth, he said, my mouth would fill up, her mouth would fill up, and nothing would happen. He said, and I tried and tried for minutes, several minutes, and I see she's dying. He said, I'm a Christian. And God said to me, Kenneth, try sucking. He said, he said, everything in my training said that won't work. My training said that won't work. I never heard anybody in CPR ever say try sucking. He said, but I did. I sucked. I sucked real hard. I had to do it about four times. And all of a sudden, I tasted oatmeal. It went down my throat. Slimy oatmeal by this time. <laughs> Sucked that oatmeal right out of that baby's passageway. Wow. So he gave her a couple of little breaths. She started crying. So the first thing she did, looked up at me and smiled. <laughs> and then she started crying. She was made, she was saved by what, what saved her? Might, education, training. No, the Spirit saved her. God's real power in you is in the Spirit. Amen. When you don't know what to do, listen to the voice of God. He will talk to you. Amen. He'll give you a way out of your trouble. Yes, he does. Teach you how to help people. Show you how to help people in their distress. That little girl, they named him the baby's godfather. I bet. Named him the godfather. And he is in love with that little girl. You should see him. Name is Kenneth Knox. You can look him up, probably look him up on the, on the internet. Officer Kenneth Knox in Georgia. Saved a little baby's life. It was wonderful. They said, I'm a Christian. And God spoke to me and said, try sucking. Nobody ever told him that. The Spirit of God has ideas for you that you don't get from men. Amen. He might just tell you, invest here. Do that. Help that guy. Help that one over there. Do something. That sounds crazy sometimes. But you never know what you're doing. I'm going to tell you this story again, but I just told you this story just a few weeks ago. I'm going to tell it again. On our campus at CFNI, we got a credible threat, they called, from a, from a gang that lived nearby. Somebody overheard the conversation of the gang, in the gang meeting and went up to our security people and told them, these boys are planning on attacking your school, attacking your, your students, and it's not good. So, they, so we called the cops, and the cops came out there and went around the community, and they told us this is a credible threat. You better watch yourself. Be on guard 24-7. So we started praying, and I went to a prayer meeting that same week after the word came to us that we needed to be aware of this credible threat. And they prayed and prayed and prayed. I wasn't leading the prayer meeting because it wouldn't have gone that way if I had to be, and I'll tell you that for sure. <laughs> but I heard a lot of fear in that prayer meeting. They're begging, pleading with God, oh God, protect us. Oh God, save us. So fearful. And after it was over, they said, Dr. Holly, you have anything to add? I said, yes, I do. I do have something to add. I said, the number one thing I need to say to you all is I don't have to beg my father to protect me. That's, right. That's his job. 
My only thing is to get in faith and believe that he, his protection. You don't ever have to beg God to protect you once you're saved. That's his job. You don't have to beg God to give you money, provide for you. That's his job. All you have to do is stay in faith and believe it. Talk to circumstances. Talk to your circumstances. Tell them to line up with God's will. Because it is God's will for you to be blessed. For you to be prospered. For you to be protected. Anyway, God had an unusual way of protecting us. Came by the Spirit, too. A few days later, I was driving across the campus, and I saw this young man walking down the street. Obviously a gangbanger. Obviously a bad boy. Where he was dressed, where he was walking, attitude a whole lot, nine yards. He just looked like he was looking for trouble. But he had a girl with him and a baby stroller with him. So he was walking along there. And I see him in the middle of the day, and I think, my redneck thinks, I got, and you guys got a redneck in your head? I got a little redneck in my head. He said, get a job, you punk. What are you doing out here in the middle of the day? Get a job, dadgummit. That's what my redneck said. And right behind my redneck, the Holy Ghost said, give him some money. <laughs> give him money? I don't want to give him any money. You know I didn't think that up on my own. You know I did not think that up on my own. I did not think that up on my own. Give him some money. Now here's why I know I didn't think that up on my own. Because I had two, all the money I had was two $100 bills. That's all the money I had, two $100 bills. I said, Lord, you know my options are limited. <laughs> when you say give him money, you're saying give him 100 or 200. And I don't want to give him two cents. <laughs> give him some money. Oh. I never heard him say give 200, so I'm going to tell you what I gave him. I gave him $100. Gave him the least amount possible. But I pulled a $100 bill out of my pocket, got my car parked. By this time, he's walked down the street a little ways. I put that $100 bill in my shirt pocket. And I yelled at him. I said, hey, young man, young man. He stops, turns around, looks at me. Like, who are you talking to, white man? Come over here, I'll stick something in you. Man, that's the way I felt. But I, I just walked toward him. I said, could I talk to you, please? He said, what? I got real close to him. Reached in my pocket and I pulled out that $100 bill and I said, I don't know you from anybody, but all I know is Jesus is thinking about you because he's talking to me about you. He told me to tell you how much he loves you today, cares about you deeply. So I'm, he told me to give you this money. He took that money, his face softened, he looked at me and he said, could I hug you? I had it in my arms. This day, God did something that, that nobody could do. An inner city gangbanger. An old white redneck. <laughs> stood in the middle of the street, hugging, consummating a love relationship. <laughs> that only God could do that kind of thing. Turn around and walk back. 
Pardon me, this still touches me. I thank God for the Spirit. I thank God for His Spirit. He he introduced me to his girlfriend, his baby, and they went on their way. I said, God bless you. Have a great day. I told him, I said, I'm the director of this school here. This is my Bible college. He said, oh, okay. They went on their way. I turned around and walked back to my car. This was about five or six months ago. I walked back to my car. And when I got got close to my car, the Holy Ghost said to me, John, you just dealt with that credible threat. You just dealt with that credible threat. You know we've not had one incident since then. Nothing came of that credible threat. The cops were real concerned about it. The cops were real concerned about it. Nothing happened because there's a spirit that's inside me. The spirit of God is inside you, and your real strength is in God's spirit because he can change things. You don't, have, don't, need, don't need might and power. You just need the spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Praise God. Come on, somebody shout yes for Jesus. I'm finished with this. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. We still got hair, our hair blowing straight back today for going so fast through this. But I'm almost done. We've almost arrived at destination. Milepost 39, the last milepost of the Old Testament. It's chapter 4, Malachi and verse 2. But unto you that fear my name, God says, shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. The word there for son is son, S-U-N, not S-O-N. In the Hebrew text, the word means brilliance or brightness, extreme light. How many of you were here last night when it was dark? Was it dark at your house last night? It's dark where I live. It's never dark in Dallas, but it's dark up here. It gets dark at my house, and I sleep like a baby. But he said, the sun of righteousness shall arise. Not the S-O-N, the S-U-N. He's saying there's a new day coming. Remember, this is the Old Testament, 400 years before Jesus came. Malachi says there's a day coming, the sun's going to rise. What's the sun going to be like? Righteousness. Not, the, not sin. Not sin consciousness, but the sun of righteousness. The new day when God makes us righteous by faith. The sun of righteousness shall arise, and he's got two, going to have two things with him. Healing and prosperity. Look at this. Rise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. That means fatted calves. We're all a bunch of fatted calves, praise God. Fatted calves. You're going to prosper. It's God's will for you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. You hearing me? The son of righteousness. This day of righteousness means healing is yours and prosperity is yours. That's what that says. Let's say it with our own mouths. This day of righteousness... Say it with your mouth. This day of righteousness. 
means I have healing. It is mine. And I have prosperity. It is mine. Does the world look different when the sun comes up? Oh yeah, it looks different when the sun comes up. And this is telling you something. This is the difference between the Old and New Testament. When the sun of righteousness arose, it's like the lights came on on planet Earth. Before then, we were in utter darkness. But when grace came and righteousness came, hallelujah, the sun came up. Jesus, the S-U-N. The S-O-N became the S-U-N for us. That's why it says in the book of Revelation, to have no need for the sun, to have no need for the moon, because He is the light of that city. Amen. 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 Righteous, three things it says we have. Righteousness, healing, and prosperity. Now, Father, I thank you today for this word. I thank you that you've given us the ability to hear your voice and the ability to strap ourselves in when we're moving fast through the Bible. I pray in Jesus' name that the righteousness that was bought and paid for by Jesus will come to bear on every soul here today and every heart here today. I pray, Father, for healing for everyone here. I pray for prosperity for everyone here. Let your power manifest in Jesus' name. Let your power manifest. Make it all right. With your heads bowed just for a moment, I, I have, to, have to say this to you. You can become righteous right now. If you don't know if you're, if you're righteous, if you don't know you're saved, if you don't know you're going to heaven, today you've got to brought you, God has brought you to the, to the right place. Because you heard the gospel today, how to be made righteous. This is a new day. This is not the Old Testament day. This is a New Testament day. And the Son of Righteousness has arisen upon you. God loves you like you are. He'll take you like you are if you just only believe Him. Believe what? That Christ died for your sins. That your sins are counted done in heaven. Finished in heaven. He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. According to the Bible, God finished the work for you. Your, your whole responsibility is to believe it. Jesus said it like this, Here is the work of God that you believe on Him whom He sent. That's all your work is, to believe it. And that believing will change your way, your way of living. That faith will change everything about the way you live. It'll make you live right. Maybe not, maybe not the next day, but it'll work on you. You'll keep believing. Faith changes things. Faith in Jesus and the power of His name changes things. How? Because He gave us His Spirit.